I want to share with you a little bit uh, this morning uh, some things that are on my heart as you think about college and then something from the Word of God. I was recently reading a survey from the University of Virginia. They surveyed their graduates, and they've had thousands and thousands of graduates out of that old university. Prepare them for life. The graduates currently hold positions in very, very diverse fields. They listed law, medicine, education, government, advertising, computer technology, publishing, science, and many, many other fields. When they asked what type of education these graduates, who have now been out in the world doing their thing, would recommend to, to new students considering the careers they currently represented, 91% of them answered, take a liberal arts degree. 91% of the graduates in all kinds of fields, including many technical fields, said take a liberal arts degree. A liberal arts degree means that you study a wide range of things, including literature, including theology, including English, including all those general things that give you a broad sweeping education. I was flying one time uh, from Boston and uh, sitting next to a, a rather brilliant scientist who had gradu graduated from Harvard. He had been involved uh, since getting his Ph.D. in some scientific enterprises, and we were talking about education. And uh, I said to him, if you had to do it all over again, would you go back and, and go through at what was a, a very technical training program for him? Uh, I said, would you do anything different? He said, yes, I'd change everything. I'd take a liberal arts degree. I'd take the widest range of exposure and opportunity to learn. And then as I got into more advanced graduate school, I'd hone in on some specific skills. That is really a trend. 85%, I understand, of all college graduates work in a field other than their major. 85%. What happens to you here in college should be the broadest, widest, deepest kind of exposure to the learning process, which can later on be honed and refined and tied down to some specific skill. You have the opportunity in these four years of your undergraduate, or five, or six, or seven, or however many it takes some of you, uh, to be exposed to a very broad kind of education. Uh, they used to talk about people being a renaissance man. We'd like to talk about people being a reformation man, or a reformation woman, someone with broad range of understanding. The University of Virginia then went on to discuss what they thought were the key skills that any person should gain out of their college education. And these are the three key skills they came up with that set a person in a track programmed for success in the future. Skill number one is communication skill, the ability to communicate. Skill number two, interpersonal skills, the ability to interact with people on a meaningful level and learn how to work alongside others. Three, critical thinking skills, the ability to assess, to analyze, to correlate information, to come up with problem-solving solutions. Those are, without question, the key things that you want to learn in college. It isn't really important that you learn some formula to make money 
or that you learn some skill to do a specific task. It is much more important in these years of your life, this first go-round in your undergraduate education, that you learn how to communicate, how to work with people, and how to think critically. And when I say critically, I mean analytically. How to assess and evaluate. How to reason. How to come to significant, meaningful conclusions. Now, let me just kind of look at those three things for a moment, because really those are the three things that I would say are uniquely the goal of this school from an educational standpoint. Sure, we're going to give you a lot of information here. We're going to teach you a lot of data. You're going to learn all kinds of things which you may or may not forget. The majority of it you will forget. It won't be something that remains in your mind. You will only remember the impressions that it made on you for the most part. But primarily, what we want to do is teach you how to communicate. The world belongs to people who communicate. And you learn how to communicate basically three ways. By reading, writing, and speaking. It is crucial that in any college environment, you learn how to read. And by that, I don't mean come, spot, come, see Jane run, read. You know how to do that. But you learn the breadth of literature that is available to you, that exposes to you ideas and, and uh, style that tells you about the creativity of communicating on a printed page. One of the wonderful legacies that any reader has is not just the expanding exposure to thought, but the expanding exposure to communication. For many years I have been a writer. I remember when I wrote my first book, and I took it to an editor. I, I had all the facts I wanted, but, you know, it had the words but no music, that kind of thing. It was very stiff and wooden. And, and every once in a while I tried to be flowery and throw in some description of a sunset or something. And it just didn't make it. And as we were going through, I was sitting with a very skilled and mature editor. And he said, what do you mean by this? And I said, well, I mean this. He said, why didn't you say it? And we go another paragraph. and said, what do you mean by this? Well, I mean this. Well, why don't you say it? Went on like that for about six hours one day. And finally I got the idea that if I was going to communicate on page, I had to say what I meant. Not what I thought people wanted to hear. And so I reevaluated my whole approach to writing by that one six-hour time with a skilled writer who taught me how to creatively put down what I wanted to communicate on a page. That one lesson, along with some other lessons that I've learned before and since, has enabled me to communicate on a printed page. Listen, when I was in college, you know, I was just trying to figure out how to get out of class and get out to the, to the locker room so I could get my uniform on. I mean, basically, I was committed to athletics, I was committed to student life, to having a great time, and my books never got in the way of my education. I mean, I was involved in all kinds of things. I had no concept of the fact that someday in my life I would be required to write a commentary series on the whole New Testament that would be somewhere between 35 and 40 volumes, averaging 450 pages each. A little simple mathematics will let you know that's a lot of words to put on a page. Little did I know that I would spend 25 years of my life writing that commentary series. Little did I know that I would spend probably 50 years of my life, or nearly that many years, if God lets me live to be 80 or so, writing books. I had no concept. There was nothing they could have taught me in college that I could have directly applied to those books. But what I did learn was how to write. How to write. I learned my English well. I learned good grammar. 
so that I could communicate, so that I didn't use the wrong verb form, sound like I just got off the immigration boat, but that I was skilled in the language that was my native tongue, which seems reasonable. When I was in my graduate school program in seminary, that was even enhanced more because we wrote so many papers. For every two-unit course we had when I was in seminary, we had a minimum of eight term papers. I don't remember what was in those term papers, but I learned how to write. That's what education is all about. The, the, the data that you'll be dealing with through your life may change. The skill of writing is very, very important. The ability to put things on a page effectively. Reading, writing, and then speaking. Some of us are are gifted with a sort of natural proclivity to uh, speak. Uh, for some, it comes easier than others. I remember when I was in seminary, we were in preaching class. And we were all trying to learn how to preach. And for some, it was harder because they didn't know how to talk. And if you don't know how to talk, moving from not being able to communicate at all to preaching effectively is a big jump. And I remember one guy who was very, very frustrated. He just couldn't seem to communicate anything. And he summed it up in one comment at the end of a frustrating sermon experience by saying to the whole class, I finally discovered my problem. I can't think and talk at the same time. Uh, that is a problem. If you can't think and talk at the same time, we want to do everything we can to help you learn how to communicate. Effective, persuasive speech moves the world. It is the power of the printed page and the power of the, of the gifted speaker who makes things happen, who motivates, who stimulates who generates enthusiasm, excitement, communicates truth. So communication skills are a primary thing that you want to pursue in your college education. And we at the Master's College are committed to that. You're going to find the environment here will stimulate you to read. It will stimulate you to write. Uh, that's very, very important. I'm always absolutely astounded at the fact, and this is shocking, that most of the college freshmen who come into college have never written a paper on anything. What a tremendous handicap. Listen to this. 25% of the students that come to the Master's Seminary, I'm talking about college and university graduates, 25% of the applicants to the Master's Seminary, 25% can pass a basic English language exam. 75% cannot. How in the world can we teach them Greek and Hebrew if they don't understand English? How can we tell them how to diagram a, a Greek sentence when they can't diagram an English sentence? We're going to teach you here the skills of your own language. We're going to teach you how to write. We're going to teach you how to speak. And the environment here is conducive to that. This isn't a, com a commuter school where you just show up, pop in and do your thing. And there's 8,000 other people whose papers have to be graded. And nobody really wants to hear anything from you individually. Now, you're not going to be a blank. You're going to find here that people are going to be involved in your life. You're going to have opportunity to speak and, and write and read and interact on those matters because of the smaller number of people and the great faculty dedication to your own development, which you're not going to find in a bigger setting. We're not trying to produce technicians. We're trying to produce communicators, first of all. Secondly, is this matter of interpersonal skills. You find out in the world that the people who are successful are the people also capable of working with other folks. I just heard an interesting story yesterday about one of our graduates from last year. There's a large corporation looking for a very highly defined and very unique leadership position. They had, uh, they had 300 names. Let me get three up there. They had 300 names. 
And they boiled it down to five names. And this graduate of our school from last year was one of the final five in the screening process from major universities and so forth all over the place. A very interesting position. It had nothing to do with this individual's major. But when they saw the resume, they saw the diversity of liberal arts background. They saw that he participated as an athlete, that he participated in student activities, and that he had developed the ability to work with people on a number of different fronts. And they were looking for interpersonal skills. Being able, being able to drill a hole in a press will get you on the assembly line. Being able to pull people together and make them produce something will put you in the administrative offices. Interpersonal skills are crucial. The college here, you may find yourself on an athletic team. You may find yourself in a musical group. You may find yourself involved in, in some kind of a missions team. Uh, you may find yourself spending a summer with folks learning how to lead, learning how to develop uh, solutions to problems that come in interpersonal relationships. All those skills are crucial. The Master's College is the kind of college that is a family. This isn't, again, a commuter school. You don't just show up and take a class and get a grade. You learn how to work with people. Part of that is your dorm life, learning how to interact, watching in the very normal flow of dorm life who the leaders are, who rises to the top, who takes responsibility, watching that in the music area, watching that in the various departments that you're in academically, watching that happen in athletics. All of that is very crucial. I don't know if you know this, 85% of all CEOs, chief executive officers in America, 85% of them are former college athletes. What does that tell you about learning to work with a team, about learning to go through difficulty, about pulling together? Those interpersonal skills are absolutely crucial. And then the third thing that the University of Virginia mentioned, and I believe is so fitting for us, is the ability to develop critical thinking skills. The ability to think analytically and critically. I think this is developed by analyzing literature, by analyzing contemporary or, or even ancient or whatever kind of thinking in philosophy, as well as theology. It involves history, because in history you have the flow not only of man's behavior, but they have the flow of his thought. Any kind of education that is valid for anyone who wants to be a Reformation man or a Reformation woman and understand the broad sweep and be a truly educated person is going to involve exposure to history, philosophy, literature, theology. And how that all pours together so that they learn how to think analytically and think critically. You'll spend your whole life evaluating ideas, your whole life evaluating concepts. I mean, even if you had a rather simple job, if you had a technical skill, let's say, which is a wonderful thing if that's the area you choose to work in, you are still going to be exposed, like no other generation in the history of the world, to a wide range of ideas. The media will do that to you. You're going to have to be able to protect your own spouse, your own children, the people you work with that you disciple as a Christian from wrong ideas from errors. You're going to have to evaluate unbelievable flood of data that's pouring at you to make wise decisions in life. You need to learn how to think critically. It isn't important in this four years of your life that you learn a little formula to make a lot of money. 
It is important that you learn how to think analytically, that you understand the principles that that come out of the Word of God in theology, that you understand the thinking and reasoning of man, that you understand the history of the world, that you understand literature and what it contributes to analysis, synthesis, and thought. And I really believe that those things happen in an environment like this. I believe you have classes small enough so you can write and read and speak and participate and develop your skills. I believe that you have an intense family environment here which which leads to the development of interpersonal skills everybody caring about everybody else and our lives sort of banging against each other and, and there's a dynamic that happens here that holds us all accountable doesn't it for a certain development of a certain kind of ability to deal with people you can't just blast through this place you're going to have to learn how to adjust and that's going to teach you skills that are so very very important because we're close and we're we're a family and then that integrated curriculum that pulls everything together. If you learn history, you're going to learn it in the light of what the Word of God says. If you learn philosophy, you're going to learn it in the light of what the Word of God says. If you learn literature, you're going to, you're going to compare it with the Word of God and the Scripture, which is the standard for everything. So you're going to learn to think critically like God thinks critically. You're going to learn to analyze the way God analyzes. That can't happen in a secular university. That can't even happen in many quote-unquote Christian universities. The other night, I sat with a young man at a basketball game here. He came over and asked me if uh, I would be willing to autograph one of my books that he had in his hand. It was a rather dog-eared book, and he had read it and appreciated it. And he said, I'm been, I've been going to a different Christian school, but he said, I just want you to know that I'm going to come here. And I said, why? He said, first of all, the head of the Bible department in my college does not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. So we're trying to be a Christian school, but we're not too sure which part of the Bible is true. Secondly, he said this. He said, the head of the Bible department in my school believes that people can get saved through general revelation. In other words, you can get saved if you just believe that there is a God because he must have made the world. And that you don't need the specifics of the gospel. You can say you have a Christian worldview, but if you don't believe in a biblical salvation and you don't believe in an errant scripture, then nothing is controlled. We want to expose you to many ideas, some of which we would agree with and some of which we would not. But in the midst of it all, there's an absolute standard. We live in a society that doesn't have that. True education, don't kid yourself. True education is not spending all your time getting exposed to error. I say that to young people all the time, tell me they're going to some university somewhere. Why would you want to pay to be exposed to error? That's what I said to the young man the other night. I said, how much are you paying to go to that school? He said, about $12,000 a year. I said, you're paying $12,000 for people to tell you things that aren't true? Why don't you go to them and tell them that if they want you to stay, they'll have to start paying you. And if they're willing to pay you the $12,000, you'll think about staying. But you're not about to pay it to hear error. Young people, there is truth, and it's God's truth. And it has a way of interweaving itself into everything else. But if you don't know the truth of God, you don't know how to think critically about anything, really. So we believe here that this college can accomplish the best of what education can do 
the best of what God has to offer in his word at the very heart of a true education. I'll say it as clearly as I can. A person who does not understand the truth of God, no matter what they know, is an uneducated pagan. Did you hear that? An uneducated pagan. Because if you don't know the eternal truth, the rest of it is superfluous. Now, one other thought on this education thing. When you come to college and you're thinking about it, I know those of you who are still freshmen or sophomore probably still thinking about where you're going to go with your major field. And those of you who are visiting us this weekend perhaps are thinking about that. Let me just give you a few things to think about. Major in whatever interests you. Just major in whatever you're interested in, because that'll give you a head start on motivation. Whatever it is that appeals to you and excites your heart, major in that. Get as much of a broad liberal arts education as you can, and we provide that here. And then, as you're able, add some career-related coursework to it. But make sure you have that liberal arts foundation. Get involved in all the extracurricular activity that you can be involved in at the college, at the church you're involved with. Use your summers to develop your experience in the things that interest you and move your heart. See if you can't find a trade-off between earning enough money so you can come back and exposing yourself to some expanding experience. And then think about graduate education for fine-tuning your career training. Let this be a time of more general exposure to the things that are on your heart. Let me tell you something. Going to a liberal arts college means having four years free. Yet that? I don't mean financially free. But four years free from having to earn your living and all of that to just develop your communication skills, just develop your interpersonal skills, just develop your critical thinking skills, do all of that. You've got four years to do that. You'll never have four years again because when you walk out of here, you're going to have to start earning a living. And other people are going to be controlling your life and you'll be in debt in the normal American way. And you'll be stuck. College is for learning all the wonderful truths, meeting all the wonderful people, and being enriched without having to earn your living completely at the same time. You'll never have it again in your life. A tremendous opportunity. And I do believe with all my heart that this college is committed to the kind of life changing truths that can equip any of you for an effective life as a Christian and an effective life in various careers, whatever they might be, that maybe you don't even know of at this particular time. Now, to kind of draw our thoughts to a conclusion uh, this morning, would you open your Bible for a moment to Psalm 19? I want to focus a little bit on the central issue here at the Master's College. And this particular psalm does that. And just take a couple of minutes to draw your attention to it. In Psalm 19, we have a great, great statement about the Scripture. And it tells you why the Word of God is central here. If, if you were to ask me, what is the most dominant feature of the Master's College? What is the greatest concern of the Master's College? What is the most important thing at the Master's College? I would answer all those questions by saying the Bible. The Bible is our dominant theme because it is the truth of God and all other information is measured against it. The Bible is the most important book. It is the most important source. 
because it is the only agency of spiritual change and maturity. In other words, the Bible is at the heart of everything. And so we could talk about our commitment to the Lordship of Christ. We could talk about our our commitment to personalized discipleship, personalized scholarship, to making you a world Christian like you saw this morning, exposing you to the world and sending you to a mission field in the summer. We could talk about developing ministry skills in you. We could talk about making you a truly educated person. We could talk about excellence in everything we do. We could talk about our academic uh, qualities. But the heart and soul of this institution is the authority of of the Word of God because it is the basis of all truth and it is the life-changing agency that God has given us. In Psalm 19, verses 7 to 9, there are some statements made about the Scripture that I would just call to your attention. Six of them, they are powerful. Each of these six statements refers to Scripture in a different way. You will notice in verse 7, Scripture is called the Law of the Lord and the testimony of the Lord. In verse 8, Scripture is called the precepts of the Lord and the commandment of the Lord. In verse 9, it is called the fear of the Lord and the judgments of the Lord. Those are six different titles for Scripture. It is law, testimony, precept, commandment, fear, and judgments. The psalmist is looking at the Scripture from those six angles. He sees it like a diamond with many facets. He says the law of the Lord is law. The scripture is law in the sense that it is, it is the manual for man's conduct. It is testimony. What does he mean by that? It is God's own testimony. It is God's self-disclosure. It is God's revelation of himself, his personal testimony about who he is. It is precepts. What does that mean? Principles, guidelines for life. It is commandment. What does that mean? It's not optional. It's binding. It is fear, verse 9. What does that mean? It's a manual on worship. It's instruction on worship. Fearing the Lord means worshiping the Lord. Here we find the instruction for worshiping Him. And it is judgment. What does that mean? It means that it is verdicts. It is adjudications from the judge of all the earth who sits on the bench and makes the decision and renders the verdict. So the Bible then has the laws of conduct for man's behavior. It is the revelation of the nature of God. It is the principles for life. It is commandments that are binding. It teaches us how to worship. And it gives us God's verdicts on everything. All of that is scripture. Notice in each case it says of the Lord to identify the author. Now again look back at those three verses. And you'll see he says that scripture has six characteristics. It is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is sure, in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Verse 8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, and the commandment of the Lord is clear, pure or clear. Verse 9, it is clean and it is true. So here's what he says about Scripture. It is perfect, sure, right, clear, clean, true. Tremendous statements about Scripture. What does he mean, perfect? I did a Bible study on that one afternoon in my Hebrew And I looked it up and I spent about three hours on it. And at the end, I concluded that what that word word really means is perfect. Exactly what it says. But to the Hebrew, perfect might be different than what you're thinking. You're thinking of perfect as uh, opposed to imperfect. No. In the Hebrew, perfect as opposed to incomplete. In other words, uh, the the best way to translate it, the best lexical definition I found is all-sided. So as to cover all aspects of something. Comprehensive. That's the idea. Complete, full, leaving nothing out. The scripture then is absolutely comprehensive. 
Whenever it comes to a spiritual issue, whatever that issue is, it is covered in the Word of God. It is comprehensive. Then he says it is sure. What does that mean? Absolutely trustworthy, absolutely reliable. Verse 8, it is right. He doesn't mean right as opposed to wrong. He means it sets a right path as opposed to a wrong path. In other words, the word lays out a path if, when walked, produces joy, as we'll see. It also says in verse 8 that the scripture is clear. The Old Testament says a wayfaring man, though he be a fool, need not err. The Bible is clear. Even a child can understand it. Jesus said that he had hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them unto babes. Jesus said, except you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom. The simple clarity of scripture makes it able to come home to the heart of man. So scripture is absolutely comprehensive, deals with every spiritual issue. It is completely trustworthy and sure. It lays out a right path and it is clear. It is not muddy. It is not confusing. It is clear. Verse 9, it is clean. What does that mean? Pure, spotless, no stain, no error. And finally, it is true. What a statement. Everything in the Bible is true. Every single thing it says is true. That in itself is remarkable. You go uh, into the average school and see if you can find somebody who will tell you the truth about anything. I was invited to Cal State Northridge by uh, uh, Professor Kramer, who's in the philosophy department. And he wanted me to come in there and he wanted me to speak on this subject. Christian sexual ethics to a philosophy class, upper division. Now, I know one thing. I know that a bunch of students at CSUN could care less about Christian sex ethics. Right? So I got a problem going in there and just unloading on them a biblical sex ethic. Secondly, they're not going to have any reason in their minds to believe that what I say is true because they don't accept a biblical authority, right? So how am I going to get my point across without getting eaten for lunch? So I went in there, and this was the approach I took. I don't know if it was valid, but this is what I said. I said, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I thank the doctor. And I said, I, I just want you to know there's a couple of things I need to say first before I talk about Christian sex ethics. The first thing I need to say is that I know the truth. I know the truth. I am able to tell you the truth about everything that matters in life. The absolute truth. That just absolutely blew their minds. I mean, they were, they were so freaked out by that statement. They started buzzing around. Oh, man, what? You know, you could just all oh, the comment. Now, wait a minute. I know the truth. I know the truth about who created the world and why. What's going on in the world and why. Where it's going, how it's going to end. I know the truth about life, death. I know the truth about what's right, what's wrong. I know the truth about death in every aspect. I know, I know the truth about the past. I know the truth about the present. I know the truth about the future. Um, and I went on like that for a few minutes. And they, it just absolutely, they thought this guy is a raving maniac on an ego trip that is inconceivable. This guy, who is this guy? You see, the, the philosophy class never finds the truth. You understand that, don't you? Because if you find the truth, the class is over. It's over. Well, what is left to do? You just bring a Bible and then it can go home. So you never want to find the truth. You just want to seek. I said, I know the truth. 
And then I said this, after they were giving me all kinds of guff, and I was kind of smiling, so I think they kind of thought it might be tongue-in-cheek. I said, but I have another thing I want to say. I'm going to tell you the absolute truth about sexual conduct. And I'm going to tell you how to have a happy, fulfilling life in the sexual area and how to destroy yourself. And I'm going to give you absolutes and tell you exactly what you can do and you can't do. And this is the absolute truth. But I said, I want to say a second thing. You're not going to accept it. You absolutely will not accept it. You will reject it with every fiber of your being. You'll want to throw me out of the room. And one guy says, well, how do you know we'll do that? I said, I just know you will. And see, now I've got him on the defensive. And he's saying, well, don't be too sure about that. And I'm saying to myself, good. <laughs> and he says, what makes you say that? And this is what I said. I said, because there's, there's an ingredient here that is absolutely essential for anyone to accept the sexual ethics that I'm going to give you. And this guy said, what is it? I said, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have that, you have no compulsion to live according to the word of God. Some girl says, well, how do you have that? I said, good. Good. So, so I spent the rest of the class talking about how to have a personal relationship with Christ. We went out in the hall and led two students to Christ. See? I might only point that out to you to say this. You know the truth. You know the truth. What an incredible thing. Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? People don't know truth. The Word of God is comprehensive, reliable, sets a right path, clear, without error, true. Now you know why this is at the heart of education. Don't tell me you're educated if you don't know this book. It's the heart of the curriculum. Any educated person must know this truth. And I don't care how educated a man is. If he doesn't know the word of God, he is a pagan. Now notice what else he says in these six statements. He tells you what the scripture will do in your life. In verse 7, he says it will restore your soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. What does that mean? Totally change your whole person. The Word of God will totally change your whole person, totally transform. The word soul, nephesh, inner man. It's translated 21 different ways in the Old Testament. It always means the inner person, whether it's heart, mind, soul, whatever. It always means the inner person. The Scripture can totally transform the whole inner person. Secondly, it takes simple-minded people and makes them what? Wise. It takes simple people and makes them wise. That word simple is a beautiful word. It means an open door. To the Hebrew, a simple-minded person was a person who had a brain with an open door. Everything flew in and everything flew out. You ever hear somebody say, oh, I have an open mind? Well, close it. You close it and keep some things out and you close it to keep some things in. You don't say, oh, I'm open to that. That's being simple-minded, naive. The Bible will take a simple-minded person who doesn't know what to take and what to leave and make him wise. Verse 8, the scripture will bring joy to his heart. It will bring enlightenment to his eyes. Verse 9, the scripture endures forever. What does that mean? It gives him a permanent resource. It's not something that ebbs and flows with the culture. And then lastly in verse 9, it produces righteousness altogether. It will produce comprehensive righteousness. Now look at that. The scripture... 
The word of God is law, testimony, precept, commandment, fear, and judgments. It is comprehensive. It is reliable. It lays a right path. It is clear. It is without error. It is true. It'll take you and totally transform your inner person, make you wise, bring you joy, enlighten your eyes, give you a permanently relevant source of truth, and produce in you comprehensive righteousness. What an unbelievable statement. Is it any wonder verse 10 says what it says? So, the word of God is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It's the most valuable thing there is. Gold isn't that valuable. It's the sweetest thing there is. Honey isn't that sweet, says the psalmist. So when we talk about education, I really believe with all my heart that what we're endeavoring to do at the Master's College is to bring together what is real education, teaching people the kind of skills that make them effective in the world, and doing it with the Word of God at the very heart. If that's the kind of education you're after, then you're in the right place. And we can commend it unhesitatingly to you.